Do you remember as a kid and you had a Christmas wish that just didn't come true? Like there was this Christmas gift that you asked Santa for, you asked mom and dad for, you asked your grandparents, but when Christmas Day arrived and you started unwrapping the gifts, it was nowhere to be found. Anybody else get disappointed like that? I'm glad I'm not alone. For me, when I was 11 years old, I asked my parents, the only thing I wanted for Christmas was a bike. I've always loved bikes, but I, I had already had a bike. It was a brown, huffy bike, had streamers that came out of the handlebars. It was a big, long banana seat. It did not make any kind of good impression on the girls in the neighborhood. So uh, I needed an upgrade. So the bike that I wanted, I, I mean, you got to remember, I grew up in the 80s. And so this was a BMX hot streak diamondback bike. It was incredible. It was one of the most expensive bikes for a kid. It had a 360-degree rotor that you literally could spin the, 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 the handlebars around. I had saw this bike in the movie Rad uh, in the 80s. I loved it. It had, it had foot pegs on the very back, like, hub. So you could, like, do a wheelie, and then you could get back on the foot pegs and do these, like, little hops, like a little bunny hops. And, and dude, it was just amazing. I had dreams of this bike. It's the only thing I wanted. And so Christmas came, and I looked around uh, everywhere. I got up early and unwrapped all the gifts, and there was no bike. And so I went up to my dad, and I said, Dad, help me understand. This is all I wanted. And he said, Son, that was an expensive gift that you asked for. If you really want this bike, get a job. <laughs> Kid you not. I'm grateful for parents back in the day that just... Like, just didn't give everything that their kids wanted. But uh, so you know what I did? I got a job. Do what the father does and do what the father says. So when I was 11 years old, I got my first job as a paper boy. And at the time, my dad was starting a church in New Hampshire. So uh, he was starting a job, and then he had other side jobs, painting houses, doing roofs, and uh so I had a paper job in the, in the summertime. I got to deliver papers by hand off my bike. In the wintertime, I hiked it. But on Sunday mornings, y'all remember what Sunday morning papers used to be like? Like they were thick. And it was like an ad. I had 35 people on my paper route. And because of the ads and the comics, it made it impossible to deliver my papers on Sunday morning in a timely manner. So my dad, uh, he opened up the trunk of the vehicle. We put all the newspapers in, and then he drove, and then I would deliver all of these papers at 5 in the morning. And then we would go to a diner, have a nice breakfast, and then go to my elementary school, and we would set up church early in the morning uh, for at, at the school I attended. So I did this for four years. I delivered 58,400 newspapers. That's a lot of delivering news all over my neighborhood. But at the same time, I watched my dad deliver the good news of the gospel. I saw firsthand of lives being changed. And so after four years, I started having to get to the place in my age in high school where I needed to decide what I was going to do in life. Am I going to deliver newspapers for the rest of my life or am I going to do what my father does and deliver the good news that changes lives? And because of the example that my dad had, it planted seeds in my own life. And I today 
had the privilege of delivering the good news of the gospel. We get to see lives change together as a church family. And the good news is that Jesus is God's greatest answer to man's greatest need. That beyond any kind of material gift you could ask for here on Christmas, Jesus is the greatest gift. That he is not just asking for peace, joy, and love, that through Jesus we have all of these things. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him should have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you agree that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given, ever to be received? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 9. I am so excited that you're here for our Christmas series that we are discovering more and more who Jesus is. Last week we discovered that Jesus is the Savior. And in response to this message, 28 of our friends publicly surrendered their lives to Jesus. That's something to be celebrating about. <laughs> Praise God. My hope during this series is that Jesus would come alive in your hearts and minds. There's a lot of messages being communicated on social media, on the news, and quite frankly, a lot of it is dark, sad news. But my hope is that Jesus would not be drowned out in the white noise of the many messages, but that rather he would take center stage, that he would come alive in your hearts and your mind, that you would grow to love him more as you grow to understand him more. May we know Jesus more and more. May we elevate him in our lives, in our marriages, in our families and communities. So in Isaiah chapter 9 is one of 300 messianic prophecies that were given hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. The odds of one person fulfilling all of these prophecies is astronomical, but yet it came true. And so one of the prophecies was by Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a what is given? A son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name, help me out, y'all, his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this prophecy would describe who Jesus is, that in him would dwell all of the Godhead fully. We see every member of the Trinity in Jesus right here, right? We see the everlasting Father. We see the Holy Spirit, the Counselor. We see Jesus as the Son, as the Prince of Beasts, and together, mighty God. Amen? So we know that Jesus is the divine Son of God because, number one, the prophets said so. The prophets predicted it to be. And Jesus fulfilled every promise. The second reason why we know that Jesus is the divine Son of God is because God the Father said so. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is before Jesus' ministry began. It was at the moment of his water baptism. In chapter 3 of Matthew Verse 17, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's so much to observe here about the relationship God the Father had with his Son. God the Father was pleased with his Son. And it wasn't 
anything that he did. He didn't perform any miracles yet. His ministry didn't begin. He didn't deliver the Sermon on the Mount, but yet God the Father was pleased with his son. A lot of times we can get confused, can't we? We think that we have to earn God's favor through our works, and it simply isn't true. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are a child of God. And in your identity, God is pleased with you. You are loved. You are highly favored. And that is good news. Amen? There was another time that the audible voice came from the Father in heaven. And that was at the moment of the Mount of Transfiguration. It was a time where Jesus invited only a few of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And they got to see with their eyes the transfiguration of Moses, Elijah, and of Jesus. And they were excited. Peter wanted to to build a memorial for all three of them. And it was at that moment that a voice came out of the cloud in Luke 9.35 saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. He was like, hey, Moses was great, great prophet. Elijah is wonderful, but this is my son. He's greater than all the other prophets. He's the best. Listen to him. A long time ago, I was, con- I was not content, all right. I, I, we had two beautiful daughters, age seven and six. Um, Stephanie was content with having two kids. She came from a family. She had one brother. I came from a family. Had, I had two siblings. And so I always wanted to have a third child. And it just didn't happen. She was on birth control. She was unwilling to participate in giving birth to our third child. And I had to win the hearts over of my daughter. I mean, nothing. I love my daughters. There's nothing like the daddy-daughter connection. There is a bond there that is deep. But I just felt like we were unfinished, all right? And so I'd ask Stephanie many times, well, let's pray about it. She didn't want to pray about it. We were done. Like the, the oven is closed. And so I had to convince my daughter. I, can, I can't tell you how many times we took road trips and, and, and I would get them chanting with me from the back seat. We want a baby brother. We want a baby brother. She was like, nope, not happening. And, uh, but, but, in around 2005, on a missions trip in Germany, a third child was conceived. God is bigger than birth control. I'll never forget three months after that, when I didn't know she was pregnant, Stephanie sent Hannah Grace into my office. I was a youth pastor at the time. I was at the church. And Hannah Grace whispered in my ear, mommy's going to have a baby. Wow. It was just like, it's happening. We're going to have a third child. And then three months after that, we went to the doctor's office to have the the sonogram, you know, like the the jelly belly and the machine and all that stuff. And the nurse says, all right, you ready? Do you want to know if you're going to have a boy or girl? And I said, absolutely. And she said, you're going to have a son. I leaned in and gave Stephanie the biggest kiss I've ever given her. 
And I looked at the nurse and I said, we're going to have a boy. I kissed her on the cheek. I, I got up. I couldn't contain myself. I ran out of the hospital room, down the hallway, yelling out, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a boy. I hugged. I kissed. I gave high fives to everybody in the hallway, every nurse, every doctor I could see, everybody in the lobby, in the waiting room. I couldn't contain my excitement. I wanted the whole world to know that I was going to have a boy. Imagine this is what it was like, small bit, small little way of when God the Father was in heaven and he sees his son at baptism and he sees his son at the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was one of the rare moments that he broke the silence in the clouds and we see and hear the audible voice of the Father say, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Hear him, listen to him. And we have the opportunity, don't we? We have an opportunity to speak of the good news of Jesus. There are people in darkness. There are friends and family members in sin. And we should be given the opportunity and have the excitement and boldness to declare the good news that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? The first reason why we know that Jesus is the Son of God is that the prophets said it so. Second, God the Father said so. Third, Jesus said so himself. In Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, Jesus was facing his trial before his crucifixion. If he would answer in a non-truthful way, his life would have been spared. The high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? If Jesus answers truthfully here, he will be convicted of blasphemy and endure one of human history's most severe suffering and martyrdom. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is so confident of his identity as the Son of God, as the Son of the blessed that he also gave prophecy that came true. Jesus declared a lot of I am statements in the Gospels. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the life and the resurrection. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. But this is the I am statement that I imagine God the Father, it meant the most to him. Imagine his heart beat a little bit more when Jesus said, I am the son of the blessed. Because he knew what it would cost him. That Jesus indeed would come as the greatest gift, but also the greatest sacrifice. As an atonement for our sins as he hung on the cross. Jesus laid down his life for us. He is the son of God. Because the prophet said so. Because God the father said so. Because Jesus said so, and fourth, because his own disciples said so. In Mark chapter 1, in the beginning of the gospel, Mark wanted first and foremost to know that Jesus is the Son of God. When Jesus would ask his closest followers, his apostles, who do people say that I am? They said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're a prophet. But Jesus, more than wanting to know what other people said of him, he says, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 
verse 15 and 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His own disciples, those who knew him most, were convinced that Jesus was the son of God. And because they believed this to be true, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to get in the way of this. Not life, nor death, nor anything will get in the way of this truth. And Jesus built his church upon people knowing that he is the son of God. There's a fifth person that must understand who Jesus is as the son of God. And that's you. You have to come to your own conviction. You can't count on your parents, your small group leader, a friend, a neighbor. You have to have your moment of truth. Is Jesus the son of the living God? If you believe that, if you confess that, you will be saved. But only you can make that decision. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, say, I believe. And if you believe this to be true, it has great implications for your life. For if you know Jesus and his identity as the son of God, you'll know that you too are a child of God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it says, For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. You are a child of God. This is good news. You're not an orphan. You're not isolated. You're not a buyer. You belong to the Father. You are a daughter of a king. You're the son of God. And that is good news. You've been adopted into a, a spiritual family. You are members of God's household. No matter the relationship that you had with your earthly father. Some of you are here today and you have a, a father's wound. And that's caused hurt. Maybe that's led to unforgiveness. That's left, led to a, a, a stronghold in your life that you're trying to numb the pain. But you've got to forgive. But don't allow the relationship or lack thereof that you had with an earthly father affect your relationship with your heavenly father. Because Jesus is someone who will never let you down. He will exceed every expectation. He loves you. And the greatest relationship is that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus as a child of God. Amen? Do what the father does. Do what the father says. So what does the father do? What does Jesus do? We look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, and we can see that first, Jesus spent time with the Father. Early before morning and before there was sunlight, his disciples watched him withdraw in the wilderness and spend time with his Father. There was a close personal relationship. They saw that this was the secret to his power. That's why they asked Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? We see you praying to the Father. Do you spend time with the Father? Your abiding time with him, being one with him and dwelling with him is of utmost importance in your relationship with God. If you want to grow in your faith, it can't happen apart from personal devotions. It can't happen if you neglect reading and studying the word of God, praying, worshiping. It's not enough to come to church two or three times a month. It's not enough to come to a small group 
two or three times a month. You must daily spend time with the Lord. Not something that you have to, but something that you get to and look forward to because it's a life-giving relationship. The Father wants to spend time with you, with you and you're as close to him as you want to be. Jesus spent time with the Father. Jesus submitted his life to the Father. Every area of his life was submitted to the Father. We read in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I came forth from the Father so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. I and the Father are one. Are there areas in your life that you've not submitted to the Father? Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And if you hold anything back, he's not Lord in your life. So don't hold anything back. What you give your time and attention and worship to will determine who you are. And so would you worship Jesus fully? Maybe may you submit every area of your life to him. Is there any area that you've been holding back? May you joyfully submit it to Jesus. Third, Jesus surrendered his life to the Father. It was in the garden when he asked, may this cup of suffering pass from me. But then Jesus came to that moment where he said, not my will be done, but may your will be done. He surrendered his life to Jesus and he laid down his life for him and for you. No greater love than this than he who would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus's life was not taken from him. He willfully laid it down as a sacrifice because of his great love for you. And in return, Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Some of you are here today and you're not right with God. You're in darkness, you're in sin. And Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and he desires fellowship. He desires a relationship. You can't save yourself. There's nothing bad enough that you could have done to prevent salvation coming for you. But rather, if you surrender your life to Jesus, you will be saved. Jesus served. He came to this earth, the Bible says, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. We see Jesus, the Lord, last supper, kneeling down and he washed his disciples' feet. He humbled himself. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Is your life marked with humility and service like Jesus's life was? Or do you lead out of control and power? What does it look like in your marriage, men? Do you humbly serve your spouse and your children? Do you have a heart to serve at work? Do you have a heart to serve in your church family and the Lord? May you take and follow the example of the Father and do what he does and have a servant's heart. Jesus not only served, but he saved. His mission was to come to this earth to seek and save the lost. How many of you are here, you're saved, you've been forgiven, you're a child of God, say amen.
If you've been saved, you need to join the Father in saving others. Jesus was a soul winner. He saved your life, and he invites you to be a soul winner, to share the good news with other people. Jesus not only saved, but he shaped the lives of his disciples. He made disciples. He didn't just inform them, he formed them. We do what the Father does, and we do what the Father says. And what does the Father say? He says in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So he invites us in to the Great Commission. This Great Commission is not reserved for a pastor or a minister, but yet it's for every follower of Jesus. If you were his child, he has that expectation. Your child is your greatest discipleship opportunity. And my greatest hope for you is that you would belong to a small group. Currently, we have 40% of our adults who belong to a small group. And I look forward to the day where all of you reach the place of maturity, where you say yes to the call of making disciples, not just of your children and your spouse, but your friends and your neighbors and those who come to know the Lord. And together we will see the kingdom of God advance and built in our community. Jesus shaped the lives of his disciples and he also started churches. When we make disciples, he starts churches. He said, I will build my church. Jesus builds it and it's his, amen? A week ago, I got to spend time in Oaxaca, Mexico to see what God is doing to pray about what he would have us to do as a church. Many of you have already been, so I've been a little envious of you, but I got to go with my my wife and my son. I got to witness to people in city center, a town of 350,000, but also to go to some remote places in the mountains where people have not heard the gospel. Got to go to pig farms where small groups are being started and in high top mountains where people are not able to because of transportation come to where many of the churches are in this city. And we believe God is leading us and guiding us to start not just a church in Oaxaca, but to see a church planning movement that will start churches amongst unreached people groups. So my heart has been captured by the people of Mexico and, and we've got a, we believe we're being led by the spirit of God to be a part of what he wants to do. And it's gonna happen when we say yes to the great commission we give and give of our children, we give of our resources and our money to see this happen. Amen. I'd like for us to have a moment of prayer and reflection. And I simply want you to ask the Holy Spirit, how can I become more like the Father? Maybe the Holy Spirit will convict you of an area you need to submit to the Lord. Perhaps he will give you a desire because of a conviction of not spending time with him. And he'll give a vision and a a sense of urgency to prioritize time with him daily. Maybe if you're not serving or there's pride in your life, he wants to break that down. There's no job that should be below you, that you would willfully serve others. Maybe there's a widow in your life or an orphan in your life that you can bless. Someone in your small group in need that God has blessed you and wants you to be a blessing to others. I believe he's going to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for your son, Jesus. Just in your own words, would you just express your gratitude 
for Jesus being the son of God in your own life. Where we're not entitled, we don't take for granted your son that came at such a great cost. You sent your son as a great gift for us. And as a church family, we prioritize in this moment in our hearts, by faith, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the greatest gift ever given. We want to be more like you. We know that we're created in your image. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just custom tailor make this moment right now very personal for every person in our church family. We patiently wait on you. Speak to us. Show us more of who the Father is, how we can become more like you. Speak to us. We're listening. Father, help us to be obedient, to have faith and courage to obey what you're laying on our hearts. Maybe it's a burden or a vision or a verse. We want to be led by you. We know that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or daughters of God. So help us now to be obedient to whatever you're asking us, individually but also as a church. In this moment of prayer and reflection, I'd like for you to examine your heart. Are you right with God? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you know without a doubt that you were saved and forgiven? If not, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Jesus died on the cross, but there was a power of resurrection that raised him from the dead. He's alive, and it's only through what Jesus did on the cross and that great grace may you be saved through faith. It won't come through any works. It won't be coming through any kind of shame or condemnation. It's only when you receive this gift, when you turn from your sin and turn to God and receive this great gift. And if he's convicting you in your heart of your sin, if, he's, if you sense him drawing you to his presence, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. I want you to respond. I'm going to count to three, and then I'd like for you to publicly raise your hand to be able to see you, and then I want to pray with you as you make this life-changing decision to follow after Jesus, to become a child of God, all right? So no one be afraid or ashamed. This is the most important moment of our service in your life. So I ask you to boldly raise your hand when I count to three. One, two, all over this room, three. Would you raise your hand right now? Don't resist. Surrender your life to Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Small group leaders, I want to invite you to come to those who are raising their hand. We're rejoicing. We're, we're celebrating with you. And would you come before the Lord with the faith of a child right now? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, all right? Father, just say his name, Jesus. I believe that you are the son of the living God. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart that you indeed are the greatest gift, the only way that I can be saved and forgiven. Please forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from my sin and turn to you. For the rest of my life, I want to follow after you as your disciple to do whatever you say in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you 
for what you're doing right now. This is a supernatural miracle. You're cleansing the minds of our friends. You're changing their lives. You're transforming them by your gospel, by the power of your resurrection. I pray that you would set them free from every stronghold of sin of the enemy. Loosen them in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that they would see their identity right now as a child of God forgiven in Jesus' name. We praise you. We celebrate with heaven right now. Can we welcome our friends to the family?